Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 26, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so with uh, last week's special Tobolowski episode on Wednesday, that means we haven't talked about movie or television news in a week. So it's time to it's it's now time to catch up. Uh, so that's basically my way of saying that we have this is a jam packed episode, including some late breaking news that hit right before we started recording this podcast. We now know who's going to be playing Marvel's Moon Knight. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, Oscar Isaac is in talks to play Moon Knight in the Disney Plus series for Marvel Studios. Um, Peter, do you know anything about Moon Knight? <laughs> I don't. Moon Knight is one of the characters I have not really read. I, I, I don't think I've read any of the any comics fe- featuring Moon Knight. I haven't either. Evidently, he's a pretty, uh, you know, second tier kind of character. And it makes sense considering how long the MCU has been going. But uh, he's kind of a fascinating guy. So, um, Brad, I'm sure you know some of, th- some of this from covering Moon Knight on uh, superhero bits. But um, this character is basically he's a mercenary who has dissociative identity disorder and he is attacked and sort of left for dead by his um you know evil boss when they uh, stumble across this archaeological dig site in the comics anyway and then uh this character this this mercenary character is approached by the egyptian god of the moon and given a second chance at life if he agrees to be that god's avatar on earth so he agrees and he ends up sort of returning to the world of the living and developing all these secret identities. And he has uh, superpowers that are tied to the moon itself. Like the fuller the moon gets, the stronger he gets. But the really interesting thing is it's unclear whether all of this is kind of in his head and he's making up the whole God thing or if it actually (laughs) is real. And like, yeah, so it it just seems like uh, very unlike you know, any other, you know, I think there have been people who have written about how, oh, this, you know, in, in very superficial terms, this is sort of like Marvel's version of Batman, because one of his secret identities is a millionaire, and he's able to sort of fund his, 
adventures and stuff like that, sort of like Batman, but, uh, and he doesn't really have any superpowers other than just strength and like, you know, he's a martial arts expert and stuff like that. But the, this is way darker than a lot of the other Marvel characters that we've seen before. So um, in terms of Oscar Isaac playing that character, I think he he's done very, very well playing dark characters in the past uh, as well as, you know, sort of more poppy, uh, you know, pop culture, whatever heroic type of roles. So um, this is definitely an interesting turn for Marvel. Yeah. My, my, my first thought here is, wow, they got Oscar Isaac. That, that seems like a big get to have here. My second thought is, wow, they got Oscar Isaac and they're going to stick him underneath a mask and put him in like white tights with a, with a white cape and you're not going to see him. And then my third thought is, oh, they're doing what they did with Mandalorian where Pedro Pascal doesn't have to be there every day on set. Yeah. Uh, is, is, I don't know. Is, is that like a, a good train of thought or I don't know? I think, yeah, that's pretty much the exact train of thought that I had, except maybe you could throw one more thing in there of like, oh man, I, I really wonder how much time uh, this is going to take up for Oscar Isaac because he's like one of the most, he's one of my favorite working actors. And he, you know, anytime he attaches himself to a project, I'm always excited to see what kind of stuff he's interested in exploring on film. And now, you know, it's, it's the, it's a, it's a tale as old as time, you know, getting sucked into a franchise. He's already been in the star Wars franchise for a long, long time now. Um, and so he, here we go again, you know, he's diving into the MCU. This character we know is supposed to appear in Marvel films after headlining his own show. So it seems like this is going to be, you know, years and years and years of Oscar Isaac, uh, in the MCU, which is great. And like, I, I love their casting. They've done an excellent job and, and, you know, pulling in great people, but it always, there is always a little part of me that's like, ah, what what projects are we not going to see now because of this? Hmm. How many episodes are are the Marvel television series? I mean, we haven't had any of them yet, but uh, do we know um, that off the top of our head? I think what Mandalorian was eight episodes, right? Yeah, I think the Marvel shows are supposed to be yeah between like six and ten, depending on the series. Yeah, I think Loki is supposed to be six, so maybe that's one. Oh yeah, that, that w- WandaVision is also six. Loki six. Falcon and Winter Soldier six. Yeah, then probably uh, on the shorter side then. But Hawkeye's 10, so I don't know. Yeah, maybe he won't be away for that long. The the other thing, while you're saying, like, what do you know about Moon Knight? I I, I did a search of Moon Knight, Ben, while we're on the podcast, because mm-hmm. I'm a professional. Sure. And uh, I, I, I saw that he was listed on IGN's list of the top 50 Avengers at number 49. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is that a good claim or is it, does that mean he's like one of the worst Avengers? Ooh, uh, well, I mean, number 49 <laughs> out of 50. Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Who's 50? Uh, you know, now, now you're asking me to pull this up. Hold on. Okay. I'm pulling it up, Brad. We're, we're going to do this live. <laughs> This will be the determining um, factor as to whether or not this Moon Knight has a good placement at 49. Oh, uh, Mockingbird is number 48. Hold on, let's see. Number 50 is Mr. Fantastic. Wait, what? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess a list of Avengers? He's not really an Avenger, so maybe that Well, in the sense. comics at one point, he yeah. he makes a, a guest appearances in the Avengers books. Huh. As, uh, 
the characters visit his life. Yeah, he's not really an Avenger. I don't think he was ever an Avenger, right? Like, I mean, like, at some point, I feel like almost every Marvel character has been yeah. an Avenger, depending on <laughs> what era we're talking about. So, Yeah, Moon Knight yeah. seems more of like a, uh, a solitary kind of figure in his uh, <laughs> comic runs. I don't think he immediately joins the Avengers, although, as Brad mentioned, I think pretty much everybody does at one point. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Brad, I know this is a film that you've been excited and looking forward to. I have some bad news for you, Brad. Uh, what? It's getting pushed back. No! <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why don't you tell us about it? Uh, I already knew about this because I wrote the story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife has been delayed yet again. Uh, it was supposed to come back uh, or come to theaters this past July, but it got delayed like every other blockbuster this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. And it was slated to come out uh, in March of 2021. But it sounds like uh, maybe studios are a little bit leery about theaters being uh, a viable option even in early 2021. Because now Sony has pushed it back to June 11th, 2021. Putting it back into the summer release window. And uh, that's probably not a good sign. Because uh, we've, we've heard for a while in the news that a viable vaccine probably wouldn't be available until well into spring next year. Possibly even summer. Um, and that's more and more seeming like it's very accurate because if studios are moving, uh, you know, movies like this out of that early spring window, it means audiences probably still aren't going to be ready to get back to theaters and it won't be uh, much safer by the time uh, that happens. Hence the move. So there we go. So what big movies does that leave us with before summer 2021? I mean, when it comes to this year, the biggest movies that are still slated, we've still got uh free guy slated for december um death on the nile and wonder woman 1984 is holding strong for christmas day but warner brothers is supposed to be making a decision uh in the next week or two about whether or not that will still be the case relatively soon um you could say monster hunter i guess that's based on that huge video game franchise but it's directed by paul ws anderson so um and then next year currently we're um there's peter rabbit 2 maybe maybe kind of big um february we've got the king's man and uh yeah that's i mean oh ryan the last dragon supposed to come out in in march so that's good um yeah that that's definitely not gonna hit disney plus that's gonna be in theaters (laughs) uh oh morbius the living vampire that'll save movie theaters Oh, God. <laughs> Boss Baby uh, 2? Come on, guys. We got some good stuff happening here. And then James Bond, apparently, maybe in April. We'll, we'll see. A Quiet Place 2. Lots lots of good stuff coming in the spring. <sighs> this, this worries me quite a bit. Like, you know, I get it. I get why people don't want to return to theaters. But also, at the same time, I love movie theaters. And I don't want to see them die. And I thought... I thought at very least we were, it was going to be the end of 2020 when like, you know, big movies would return to theaters and some people would go to the theaters to see them making at least enough money to keep those movie theaters alive. Uh, you know, AMC, you know, doesn't have enough money to like survive into 2021. And uh, now that Ghostbusters has moved out of out of March, I, I just think it's going to be a max mass exodus out of that uh, out of spring. And now we're now we're like all, I guess, praying for summer 2021, which I, I don't know if like I don't know. To me, I, I hate to be the pessimist here, but that, that sounds like the death of movie theaters to me. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm a little bit worried. Uh, oh, 
you know, talking about movies that might go to streaming, one of the things that we never thought would have even been in consideration is a Bond movie. But apparently that was in the talks. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so over the weekend, this, this kind of started out as um, uh, a rumor or a story that there was still a chance that No Time to Die uh, might end up being released in streaming in some capacity. Um, like many other movies, it's been pushed back several times because of coronavirus. It's currently slated for release in April of 2021. Um, but MGM is behind uh, James Bond, and they don't necessarily have a lot of high-profile, valuable properties other than James Bond to keep them uh, going strong during this whole debacle. And it sounds like at one point, uh, they were in talks with streaming platforms like Apple and Netflix to potentially release No Time to Die um, on streaming. Uh, these discussions apparently happened uh, in late September, right before they uh, chose to delay the movie again. And uh, word on the street is that they were looking for $600 million for the distribution rights, which is wow. huge. Uh, that's an insane price to pay for a movie like that. Um, but do, apparently- do we have any idea like what the biggest price that's been paid for a streaming movie I'm guessing it has to be like Netflix with like what the Scorsese movie or something like that's a couple hundred million. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's something that we would definitely have to look into to really yeah. get the uh, the answer to that. Um, but I'm sure that it's nowhere near six hundred million dollars yeah. um, because that, that's a, a huge price tag. And that's really that's just to, so that the studio could recoup any of the profits or, or, or at least money that they might have made from releasing No Time to Die in theaters because, you know, that's a you know, a movie that does huge bank at the box office, you know, both domestically and internationally. And so they'd want a price that, you know, gives them everything they would need to actually pay for the movie and then some. Um, But it sounds like those discussions are now done. Um, Apparently, MGM is no longer considering that. And they're dedicated to uh, releasing the movie in theaters next spring now. So even though there was a chance this was happening, it sounds like that opportunity has come and gone. Okay, the, the idea that a big movie like Bond could even have discussions to go to streaming makes me wonder, like, what other movies could possibly be in that realm. So I want to go really quickly through 2020 and 2020, early 2021, and I wanted to hear what you guys, in rapid fire, uh, I wanted to hear what you guys think of each of these movies. Like, tell me if it's going to get pushed theatrically or if it's going to go to stre- streaming in some some form, you know, premium or whatever. Uh the Crudes, A New Age. Streaming. Streaming. Yep. Uh, Free Guy. Is that going to theaters? Yeah, I would say pushed. Yeah, I'd say it's pushed too. Death on the Nile? I, I, I'm 50-50 on that. I could, I could see it going to streaming, um, but it's, I mean, it has a huge enough cast that I wonder if they would want to wait and use that star power for theaters. Yeah, I'm leaning towards streaming for that one. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, 1984. Theaters all the way. Yeah, pushed. Peter Rabbit 2. Streaming. <laughs> uh, streaming, yes. <laughs> um, what else we got here on this list? Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, boy. I wonder how many times Disney can do that. Um, and how many times can they do it to a movie starring a, you know, a, 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 an animated movie featuring a diverse cast from outside the United States. I feel like Raya has a better chance of being pushed because its release date is so far down that delaying it from then wouldn't it be as big of a deal as like 
delaying soul which is was already delayed mm-hmm. once and then delaying it again just creates a you know a bigger problem down the road so i i think that raya has a better chance of being pushed rather than going to streaming yeah. uh morbius who cares just put that shit on streaming and be done with it <laughs> Sony, uh, Tomb Ra- i don't know sony needs those movies in theaters i think so uh tomb raider 2 I don't think that's going to happen at that point. Because I, I was looking this up when I was writing. We're, we're going to talk about Ben Wheatley later on the episode. Yeah. And he's supposed to be directing that. And I I think the last update we had on Tomb Raider 2 was like a year ago or something. And there's there has not been any movement as far as I can tell in terms of like the shooting of that film. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. I don't Wait, so that has a March release date and it hasn't even been filmed? I yeah. think that's right. <laughs> Let me look this up while we're talking just to double check. But... I just think that's... that I just think that they haven't made an announcement about the release date shifting at all, so it's probably just sitting there waiting for yeah. an update. Yeah, uh, a quiet place too. That one they definitely want in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the best part of the, that movie was like the silence. You had to like be so quiet in that first movie. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, just a couple more. Uh, Last night in Soho. That one I could see going to streaming just because it's more of a niche movie and it's not one of Edgar Wright's more accessible, you know, mainstream yeah. titles. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- I think that's possible. Black Widow. Definitely theaters. Yep. Okay. I, I, I think we're right now at June and I think a lot of those movies, I think that everybody thinks it's going to be in theaters, so I'm not going to mention them. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's really crazy the times we, we live in right now. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of movies going to streaming that we did not expect. Oh, wait, wait, by the way, uh, Ben, do you, uh, do you have an update on Tomb Raider? I do. I do. Uh, I just looked and evidently filming of Tomb Raider 2 was supposed to begin in April of this year. And obviously <laughs> that, uh, did not work out great. So, um, production I think was supposed to be delayed until this summer. And I have not heard if they have picked up and, and actually started that shooting, but, um, I don't think March 19th, 2021 is going to hold for Tomb Raider 2. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Okay, um, what, one of the films that is hitting streaming that we didn't expect was going to ever happen is Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. Uh, and uh, we recently learned some returning characters that were unexpected for the reshoots. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, so Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to be, I guess, re-edited into a four-episode series on HBO Max. And uh, Joe Manganiello, who played... Deathstroke in the uh, post credit scene of the theatrical version of Justice League, which came out in 2017, is going to be coming back to play Deathstroke yet again in this version of the story. So um, we don't know exactly like what capacity and how much and, you know, if there's going to be a big Deathstroke action scene that maybe <laughs> Zack Snyder himself shot and just had to leave on the cutting room floor the first time, or if Meganello is going to be joining these reshoots that are going on now and only appear in a small role. There's, I mean, so many questions about this. Basically, all we know is he is going to be involved in, in the new version. So um, there's that. And then uh, the bigger news, I, I would say, is that uh, Jared Leto's Joker is also coming back. Um, and he is going to be, I mean, he wasn't in, I, I don't think he was in, he appeared in the uh, theatrical cut of Justice League. Uh, did I, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. It's been so long since I've really. Although Affleck, Affleck from the Snyder verse appeared in Suicide Squad. Right. On top of yes. the car. Yeah. Um, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> Jared Leto's Joker, guys. I mean, 
you know, one national nightmare to another, right? Like we thought that we, thought that we were done with this. We thought that uh, a vaccine had been handed out for Jared Leto's Joker. Evidently not. Uh, we're seeing a second wave. I'm sorry. These are all wildly inappropriate terms uh, to be yeah. <laughs> comparing to a, a very serious disease that's going on right now. Yeah. Um, but seriously, no, uh, uh, Jared Leto's Joker, guys. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to react to this. Um, part of me is just like, you know, kick the the chaos uh, all the way up to 11. Let's just fucking go and like, give me everything you got, Zack Snyder. Like make this as weird and out there as possible. Uh, another part of me is like, <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, Jared Leto's joking. No, uh, another part of me is like, why do we have to deal with this again? Um, but I think ultimately I'm, you know, we've talked so much about the Snyder cut and ultimately I'm coming down on the side of like, you know, anything that can make this as different as possible from the theatrical cut will at least make this more interesting. So uh, sure. Bring in everybody you can think of. Let's, let's do it. You know, this just goes to show you though, this movie has been done this entire time uh, and just wait, (laughs) waiting to get released. Like why, why didn't they release it sooner? It's been done this whole time. What are they, what are Mm -hmm. they doing? <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, and 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 fans are going to get the the un you know uncut vision of that of Zack Snyder, the one that he had made, and not anything added or you know it's not going to be cut into four parts. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be presented the way Zack Snyder originally intended. <sighs> oh boy. Yeah. Can we just see this thing and then um, maybe yeah. n- never talk about it again? Yeah, it's also interesting that Deathstroke, that whole, like, end credit scene was to build up for, what, like, uh, the Ben Affleck Batman movie that never ended up happening and isn't going to happen. It sort so, of seemed like it was building up to, like, a Justice League sequel because he was talking about, like, oh, if they have a, a League of Heroes, why can't we have a League of Our Own? Like, talking about a League of Villains. Yeah. So it was, like, a multi-villain coalition or something that was supposed to be put together. And that sounds like maybe you know, too big for a solo Batman movie. So uh, the question I really have after all this is like, is HBO max just going to keep the train rolling and just be like, all right, Zack Snyder, here's, you know, a hundred million more dollars or however much, like go make a sequel to justice league after his four episode thing comes out. Like, are we, are we approaching the beginning of the end or are we approaching just a whole new beginning here? So I don't know. Yeah. You know, I I know we like to give like I don't know. I feel like we we are all feel defeated by this like this whole project at this point because it's just like the movie came out and like the the fandom was uh, in a large part very toxic and uh, kind of beat us down. Uh, but I do want to say I do kind of appreciate how like Zack Snyder is. You know, he's fallen down this hole. He's kind of like in this director's jail, and he is fighting his way out that like he he is like doing everything he can and yeah i i can imagine a day where like hbo max greenlights you know a second season or a second justice league movie mm-hmm. i don't know it just it seems like something that would would have been impossible if you could tell yourself you know two years ago that that was going to happen it just seemed unreasonable i mean it's mm-hmm. still unreasonable but you know <laughs> what i mean okay um Let's move on. Let's talk about the Willow TV series. They have finally hired a director. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so this Willow thing is apparently happening. Um, fans of this, uh, the movie from Lucasfilm have been wanting a sequel to Willow for a while. It's been discussed here and there. 
Uh, you know, Warwick Davis has kept the hope alive. And with Disney Plus, uh, they're really pushing forward by doing uh, a sequel to it in the form of a series. Uh, Warwick Davis is coming back. Ron Howard, who directed the original movie, is coming back as an executive producer. But he's leaving the directing duties up to John M. Chu this time, uh, who's the director of Crazy Rich Asians uh, and the upcoming musical adaptation In the Heights. Uh, so the series is um, supposed to be starting production s- seemingly soon. We'll see how that works, you know, with the the pandemic and, and whatnot, um, likely next year. But yeah, this is, you know, um, I guess kind of surprising because uh, I, I don't know. Willow has definitely has fans, but uh, it feels like it's more of a, a cult favorite than than anything. And so Disney Plus, you know, investing a lot of money in it uh, to bring a sequel back is uh, kind of surprising. Well, it could be their Lord of the Rings, right? I don't know. It's uh, possible. The, uh, John M. Chu is interesting. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he's the director of Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Into the Heights, uh, the Justin Bieber documentary. Uh, you know, he's been kind of like put in this box, although he, he talking to him as a filmmaker, he's a geek that loves like big blockbuster movies you know he he, he directed the gi joe sequel and he directed some uh the um now you see me sequel like he i don't think he wants to be stuck just doing serious movies um and i i'm guessing willow is a big touchstone for him I, his daughter's name willow so enough that he named his daughter willow so uh, uh, brad what is your thoughts on chew for this this move uh, this show yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing what he can do in a different genre. You know, he's proven that he can take on uh, a variety of things. He brings a lot of uh, energy and, and zest into everything that he's done so far. So, I, yeah, I think having him tackle like something like this, especially since he's so passionate about it, uh, can only be good news. You know, you don't um, you don't necessarily want a, a hired gun doing something like this when it has such a passionate fan base. You want somebody who genuinely loves the material, digging into it. And giving you know fans something that they they want to see, and he's going to do exactly what he would want to see as a fan himself. So I, I think it's good news all around. It's also kind of sad that you know this is happening. This is going into production, and they've been trying to make Indiana Jones five for how many years now? So uh, you know, only took Willow you know what six months from when they we first heard that they were actually developing this. I mean, so. yes and no. I mean, I, th- I think a Willow sequel has been tossed around for yeah. you know probably as long as the the Tron sequel was before it came along. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about filmmaker Ben Wheatley and what he has lined up next. Uh, it, it's another weird like uh, pairing something unexpected ben what do we know yes ben weekly uh, ben wheatley who directed uh, rebecca the most recent uh, remake that is on netflix right now and he also directed films like a field in england and free fire he is directing the meg 2 for i think mgm's the studio behind this one so um what like <laughs> you know this is this is another one of those completely out of out of left field choices uh i mentioned earlier that he wheatley was originally on board to direct tomb raider 2 it's unclear if he's still even you know attached to that project right now um but uh man the the studio has wanted a sequel to the meg for a while like ever since the the first movie made a lot of money at the worldwide box office and so uh, that film came out in 2018, so now the Meg 2, I mean, it, it sort of seemed inevitable that this was going to happen. Uh, Jason Statham is expected to return 
uh, to lead the cast again. But um, Ben Wheatley, as a as the director of a big budget studio shark film, seems like a really really strange <laughs> pairing to me. I mean. It seems like like Chu in ways. It, it seems like he wants to do bigger and better, or not better, but bigger movies. Uh, do, do you think this is the right like the right choice for him, or do you think this is a bad career move? I don't know if it's a bad career move. I mean, it's it's definitely going to put him, uh, you know, probably on more lists to do more mainstream things. It's just a, a slightly disheartening career move from somebody who has appreciated a lot of his smaller scale stuff. Um, he made this movie in 2011 called Kill List, which I think Jacob and I have have sung that film's praises on the podcast before. And it is like genuinely one of the most unsettling films of this entire century so far. And just to think about, you know, the guy behind that um, stepping into this sort of mindless, uh, you know, big budget studio shark uh, mechanism, it just makes me a little um, crestfallen. But uh because you know he's the type of filmmaker where like nobody else can make a Ben Wheatley movie like he has such a distinct um, voice and style and it's so unlike anything else and I feel like anybody could you know you could I think John Turtletop directed The Meg and he directed you know National Treasure and and a lot of um, you know really like straight down the middle uh, like solid Hollywood like like a double in baseball, you know, like nothing, nothing too special. Um, but I feel like you could get a lot of filmmakers in that, uh, in that ballpark, I guess, to continue the metaphor that could direct this. Whereas Ben Wheatley is like such a, an interesting person who makes all these weird, like sort of eccentric films that, um, yeah, it sort of bums me out a little bit. But he also made it high rise, which I never saw, but it seems kind of out of his element as well. Um, I think High Rise is a little bit more attuned to the kind of bizarre styles and tones that he likes to play with. Um, I, I, I guess the hope is that maybe he just brings so much of his style to the Meg 2 that that film doesn't feel like sort of a bland, uh, you know, mega franchise sequel. Maybe he ends up like overpowering it and and making it super weird or something. And I mean, I guess I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had fun with the Meg 1, so I'm interested i mean i'm more interested now that he's possibly doing the meg 2 to see what that is uh but speaking of movies that take place in the water uh avatar 2 has been filming underwater scenes and it looks like james cameron is trying to compete with tom cruise's mission impossible brad tell us about it yes james cameron is trying to kill the cast of avatar 2 Little by little. <laughs> is is that how it's never going to be released? Yeah. Is one of them. Yeah. Just taking too long. Um, but yeah, so a, Sigourney Weaver was recently profiled in the New York Times uh, um, for her career looking back uh, at the various movies she's made over the years and her, her life and whatnot. And of course, conversation inevitably turned to the Avatar sequels since she is uh, back as a new character in the sequels after her original character uh, died in the first movie. Spoiler alert. Uh 11 years ago. Um, and it would seem that the uh, there's a lot of difficulty involved with shooting some of these sequences because, uh, as we've heard uh, many times over, a big chunk of Avatar 2 has to deal with the underwater component of Pandora. And a lot of scenes, including motion capture scenes, uh, are being shot underwater. And rather than using uh, a stunt double for, for some of this stuff... Um, a lot of the cast is actually shooting motion capture scenes underwater. And in order to make this as efficient as it possibly can be, 
uh, they had to train with uh, elite military divers in order to learn how to hold their breath for over six minutes at a time. So that way they can shoot as much as they can underwater before they have to come up uh, and take a breath or get supplementary oxygen underwater. And Sigourney Weaver, at 70 years old, uh, did this as much as she could and uh, was doing it right along with the rest of the cast. They, they're submerged underwater um, in this huge water tank, you know, and they uh, go back and forth for, for air and then shoot as much as they can. It's just, it sounds crazy. Um, but she was eager to do it. You know, she tries not to limit herself and uh, doesn't hold back and, you know, chooses to do as much as, she, you know, her body will allow her to do. So, yeah, more props to Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> I have some questions here, Brad. Um Sigourney Weaver is playing a motion capture character in Avatar. It 2? would seem so because we have seen a uh, a photo from the set of her in this massive water tank with a uh, motion capture helmet and a suit with all the the digital markers all over her. So she she's playing some kind of motion capture character. Then why does she need to hold her breath for over six minutes? Can't she like have like a small air pack on like 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 a scuba like a small like mini scuba thing? So I, it doesn't seem like it because since she has the motion capture helmet on, she couldn't really have a scuba apparatus on because then they couldn't cap uh. capture her face for the performance. Okay, um, have either of you ever held your breath for six minutes? I'm not even close. <laughs> I don't think so. No, probably not. I recently watched this David Blaine special on YouTube. It was uh, the one where he was flying with balloons. He like flew into the atmosphere with balloons and then skydived down. Uh, but dur during the special, he was talking about how, uh, you know, learning to be able to hold your breath is part of the equation. And he was at uh, Casey Neistat's house. He was teaching Casey and a bunch of people uh, who were in the pool. I think like... um. Maybe Jason Sudeikis was there. I don't, I don't remember. But um, he was teaching a bunch of people in the pool how to hold their breath for a long period of time. And during that segment of the the YouTube show, they were like, you know, you, you try holding your breath now as they, they do it. And like I, I tried to – he actually was able to teach them how to hold their breath for like – I forget how long. An incredibly amount uh, – like insane amount of time. But like I tried to hold my breath for I think over like – two like a minute and a half and i couldn't even do that so i i, I, I don't know it, it's amazing to me that someone can not only hold their breath for six minutes but like these people and even david blaine when he was underwater like breaking the world record of how uh you know how long you can be, be submerged underwater without any oxygen uh even him was you know uh not moving not that you know eyes closed not not doing anything i i Sigourney Weaver has to hold her breath and act and, you know, swim and be active. Uh, I don't know. That's crazy to me. It just sounds insane. But, uh, okay, we have one last story for you today, and that is the Adams Family is coming back thanks to Tim Burton. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so this is um, sort of like unexpected, but also totally expected at the same time. Uh, Tim Burton is going to be the the main the latest major filmmaker to jump into the world of television. He is uh, developing a new version of the Adams family, which is the classic franchise based on the, that creepy, kooky, mysterious and spooky family. And uh, he is negotiating to executive produce and potentially direct all episodes of this new series. He's de developing this with Alfred Goh and Miles Miller, the guys behind Smallville and uh, into the Badlands. And, um, 
I mean, you know, so on one hand, you have like Tim Burton coming to TV, which is like a uh, a rare thing for him. He's directed like a couple episodes of television over the course of his career. Mostly he's been a film guy. But then, of course, you know, if Tim Burton is going to come into the world of TV, it's going to be for an Adams Family show, which is a, you know, a, a property that fits so perfectly with his uh, cultivated aesthetic that um, it's like just one shade away from self-parody, basically, at this point. Yeah, that's oh. what I was thinking. I was thinking like it, like this seems so obvious that or it's so perfect that it almost seems like something I'm like it's just like wrong. Like it doesn't seem like it, like it will be entertaining. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, I, I sort of had that thought, but I I understand where he's coming from here because uh, you know, as somebody who is kind of mixed on Burton's career so far. I thought he did a really interesting thing a few years ago when he made this film called Big Eyes, which was a movie that did not conform to his aesthetic stylings at all. And nobody cared about it. Nobody liked it. It it sort of like came and went and nobody gave a shit. I thought that was like his last chance. Uh, It felt, it feels now looking back on it, like him being like, okay, I'm going to try to push myself creatively into an area that I you know, outside of my comfort zone. And then when that didn't work, he sort of, this is my read on it. He sort of like threw up his hands and said, okay, fine. Like, I'll just go back and do the thing that I, that I always do that everybody likes when I do. So, um, you know, I can't blame him entirely for, uh, going back to this kind of well. Um, but, uh, the show, I guess the only details we have about what this take is, is that it is a live action series that would be set in present times and be from the perspective of Wednesday Adams and what the world would look to look like to her in 2020. Hmm. I mean, that seems smart to be basing it from her POV. Right. Or am I wrong there? Um, I don't know. I mean, Wednesday is a really interesting character, but like, uh, I guess all of the, you know, Gomez and Morticia are really <laughs> fascinating as well. Like they're, they're much more, um, flamboyant characters and i i like the idea of them being at the center of this the adams family has sort of always been like an an ensemble concept anyway so um the idea of it maybe theoretically narrowing just to wednesday's perspective uh i guess could be interesting but um i don't know i'm sort of i i don't know how i feel about this uh overall but brad what do you think about this like what do you think about tim burton doing something that is so like clearly tim burton ish uh, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm torn because Tim Burton's style has always, you know, been very similar to the original Adams Family comic strip, um, this, you know, dark, macabre kind of sense of humor. And I, I don't know, it just, it seems too easy. Like, and I, he's been doing so much that has already been so easy and just obvious in his wheelhouse that I, I don't know, it just seems uninspired to me. Like, I, I feel like I would want somebody with a little, a little bit of a different, you know, vision digging into the Adams Family. And the new perspective is, you know, somewhat interesting. But like you said, you know, Adams Family has always been really about the ensemble. That's, you know, what makes the, the live action movie so good. Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm, I, I will reserve judgment until we get to, to see, but nothing Tim Burton has done recently inspires much confidence that um, it's going to turn out the way that we would want. Yeah, I I think the only reason the Wednesday perspective like is interesting to me is because I feel like that character going to school and stuff like that, like she has a life that's big outside of that family and outside of that home. And uh, it kind of lends to uh, her getting a perspective of, you know, 
normal or I guess the weirdos that live outside her house um, that I, I think that you don't get as much with um, the, the rest of the family. I don't know. Then it's kind of like the Munsters, though, isn't it? Because yeah. wasn't the whole premise of the Munsters that there was like one quote unquote normal member of the family and it was like a teenage girl and everybody else was basically like Adam's family characters? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know. OK, we've gone we've gone long enough on this. We're 38 minutes into this episode. So uh, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's show on slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.